Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. They're some of the most famous crime movies of all time and have left gangsters and their glamorous malls forever embedded in popular culture. Now Crime World is going to make you an offer you can't refuse. In association with Dingo Whiskey and the Sunday World magazine, we'll be recording an exclusive invite-only live show on December 1st in Dublin's Sugar Club. And for a chance to win tickets, all we want are your views and your votes. Over the coming weeks, we will be reviewing our top 10 iconic movies with some special guests as part of the Dingle Whiskey Movie Club on Crime World. And we want you to vote for your favourites to be in to win. Details on sundayworld.com and Crime World's Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And remember, keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. 20 years ago, before the introduction of anti-gangland laws you would have had to really have been the person to pull the trigger or a getaway driver, maybe, to be convicted of murder. Tension certainly was, was massive and there was this narrative really developed in public that things are out of control, that the state were not in control of the streets of, of Dublin uh, and, and possibly they weren't. I'm Nicola Talent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. A few seconds of CCTV footage showing six men running towards what the state says was a getaway car sparked gasps at the special criminal court where Jerry the Monk Hutch stands trial for murder. The footage captured at St. Vincent's GAA Club was taken within 20 minutes of the murder of David Byrne at the Regency Hotel and shows what the prosecution will claim are the hit team as they make their escape from a burning van. Today, I'm talking with Niall Donald about the latest developments in the sensational trial. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. Similar enough to yesterday, and actually even more so, there was a kind of a stream of witnesses who worked in various garages, shops, businesses, a lot of them along the Malahide Road and thereabouts, and they were all called to give evidence of how they had allowed the Gardaí download the CCTV. And it was a bit snoozeville, to be honest with you, but um, all of a sudden, 
there was just this one moment and the whole courtroom gasped. And it was, we had followed this BMW car um, as it made its way around the town. And um, and I'll go back to where it kind of was the movements of that car. So we're following the car uh, from, I think, approximately 11am. I'll go back and have a look. But basically... We're, you know, we're following it along the road and you have to watch as it passes and in various different uh, angles on it. But at 14.05, this car, this BMW, which is black and it's filthy dirty down the bottom, one of the taillights at the back is broken and there's a kind of silver rim around the windows and the back, the two back windows are blacked out. That's what makes it so distinctive and why we can see it every time it goes past the CCTV. But at 14.05 on the 5th of February, it pulls into St. Vincent's GAA Club and sort of reverses verses into a space that's under this CCTV camera. You can just see the corner of the car after it parks up. And there's a kind of a laneway. I don't know, St. Vincent's GAA Club, maybe you do. No, it's a, I mean, it's one of Dublin's best-known GAA clubs, but I don't know that, um, that part of that it. particular so part you can of see, it. You can kind of see this is a, like a laneway, a dirt laneway, really. Yeah. And on the right-hand side is obviously the pitches. That's the green, yeah. and then there's a wall. So, um, you know, it's you're watching it and then we move on to something else and then it comes up this CCTV and it's 14.40 on that day. Um, And all of a sudden, six people are belting it down this laneway. Now they're backs, right? Yeah. And in actual fact, we watched it twice and then Justice Tara Burns asked, could we watch it again? Because it was actually a moment that was like, oh, these were the team that yep. had been in the Regency and presumably their driver because yep. we count one, two, three, four, five in the Regency yep. and then one driver. But number one, uh, and really the first time that they ran sort of past, I didn't even get a chance to, I just wasn't expecting it, me along with others. But uh, the second time, you're more concentrated and the first person is the guy in drag. Yeah, Still has the wig on still has the jacket, the boots, but is dragging a kind of a um, suitcase right. along beside him. So I don't know what that is. Well, it could have been a change of clothes in theory. I mean, you can speculate. That's it all it would be. It could have been a change of clothes. And that could have been in that van. Yes. Yeah. That could have been there for all of them, perhaps. Yes, perhaps. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, are they aware of that CCTV camera, do you think? Well, whether they are or not, they don't, you don't see their faces. So it's yeah. the back of them and they just kind of come in one after the other. So there's the the guy in drag and then next is somebody unidentified, but not masked now or anything. You can just, yeah. there's nothing, certainly no hat on or anything like that. I think possibly dark haired, looked kind of young from the movements. Third is flat cap with yeah. the little flat cap on him. Still, still on. Still on his head. Then there's one, two, three more. Yeah. Um, again, the back of them. They're all pretty sprightly. Um, there was a lot of commentary uh, from behind us, from the Byrne family. And it's really the first time all day anyway that they sort of had anything. They were quite loud in, in their 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 conversations um, later when this BMW car is traced or is sort of followed back to a house uh, James Jawsburn remarked that's that little bollocks over there and he was pointing or certainly remarking towards Jason Bonney um, as you see this guy getting out of the car but as they were running and the backs of these heads 
they were just, look at the guy at the, la- the end, look at your man at the end, look at your man at the end. That's all I could hear them say. I didn't know whether they were trying to identify somebody. But Yeah, well, um, I suppose the, the state's case will be that was flat clap the man and drag the three gunmen that, that, have, that were pictured going in in the ERU uniforms on a, on a sixth man. Yeah. Presumably... The person who's driving the van, because you hear in, in in the opening statement, you hear about how the van uh, reversed, did a U turn at the Regency, and w- opened the, the the side door and waited for the the guys who went into mm-hmm. the hotel. So, and was there no CCTV footage at the Regency showing the face of the man in the car in the van? There doesn't seem to be. So it's, it's certainly it's not certainly parked there, away from, like with all the cameras that we know the Regency was covered in. Yes, they must have parked. Well, I mean, I think there is a cam. There's there's sufficient footage to identify the van, and that's it. Um, it's obviously stayed in the car park, and yeah, but not the driver, n- not the driver, uh, yeah. or certainly not that we heard in uh, we so far in this case. Mm. And and you know, a lot of the, the the very crucial evidence is flagged up in the opening statements. And they're putting all this CCTV to the court, and then they're going to have an argument about it. And they pretty yeah. much told us that there today at the end. Um, in actual fact, they finished early and they're starting late on Monday. But they're, the day on Monday is going to be, I think they'll finish putting this uh, into the evidence, this CCTV into the evidence, and then they'll row about data retention and all there was, these. And so there was no cross-examination? So there was basically, so that was just the really, that was the moment that woke everybody up. Everyone sort of jolted uh, when they saw that. And I think up to that, it really sort of showed us what we were actually watching during this CCTV and this sort of boring footage of cars passing one another by on the streets of Dublin on a, you know, a a Friday, wasn't it? A Friday uh, afternoon in February of 2016. But actually what we were watching or what the state is going to tell us we're watching is this getaway, this very dramatic plan to make their getaway. So, um, look, I'm not going to name out the people because they were just people that were the witnesses. They were just people who were doing their day's work and they got caught up in this. You could see some of them actually were deeply uncomfortable with having to give evidence. And in some cases, their home addresses and everything are read out to the court now. It's not really necessary for us to repeat that. No, it's not. Um, But it is necessary for it to go into court. Of course. But it it is an intimidating thing. And Gardaí often face that, that they have to go around and people can give it voluntarily but they can also get a, a you know get a, a warrant for yeah. it to, to seize it. Uh, well all these people were called to court. There was a guy working in the Topaz gallery sorry the Topaz garage on the Malahide Road. There was a another guy from the Apple Green garage. There was a a chap who worked in Netwatch Ireland and they seemed to gather CCTV for a variety of companies or for street footage or something, I yeah. don't know. Um, he was asked for footage, actually, sorry, he was asked for footage relating to between 7 and 8am on the 20th of February and then the night of March. Now, actually, I put a note of that date down because... So they're collecting CCTV footage between 7 and 8 a.m. on the 20th of February. Yeah. That is actually the day after Eddie Hutch's funeral. And that is clearly the day the state are going to say, or Jonathan Dowdall is going to say, that he met up with Jerry the Monk Hutch in Whitehall Park. Yeah. And is Whitehall uh, Park near Artane? Well, it's, it's now you're dealing with a outsider here, <laughs> so I'm hoping to God you can throw well, a little bit of light on this. It's sort of in the general direction, I suppose. Okay, it's on the way up. 
So a, that yeah. that was obviously the twentieth of February. That between seven and eight a.m. was obviously when that. And I yeah. think we, I think we'll hear that. I'm kind of speculating. Yeah. But I think we'll, when we come to that, we'll hear that that was the day of the meeting. Yeah. Because you remember the day of Eddie Hutch's funeral, and Jerry Hutch, of course, attended, and that was yeah. the last time we believed he remained kind of in Ireland. It was certainly the last time he was pictured and he, he was one of the, the, probably the most repeated picture of, of Jerry Hutch in recent times where he was wearing a, a, a a baseball hat and long hair, which people said was a wig at the time, but really... Now when we look at it, it wasn't more, it was his own yeah. hair. It's a fine um, head of hair, the man. Fine head of hair, if if greying, not that there's anything wrong with that, wrong Nicola. With that. No, no. But, um, so that was the last, um, and, it, and of course that picture, you know, featured again, then prominently um, during the trial of... Uh, the murder of Noel Duckegg Kirwan, who was pictured beside Jerry Hutch and subsequently was murdered was because murdered of that for something as simple as that. So, and of course, there's a, a, an arrest warrant, a European arrest warrant out for Sean McGovern, who fled after that murder out to Dubai and has pitched up with Daniel Kinahan ever since. And that arrest warrant was issued at the same time that the sanctions were were levelled against the Kinahan organisation. So so it's, yeah, the constant uh, stream of connections as as we go through these things. Yeah, and things are starting to become clearer in a way when this, this trial is going on. But yeah, so the 20th of February, they're collecting this, this um, CCTV footage. So clearly, I think what's going to be put to the trial will be, you know, either cars... Yeah. as we've seen already, or, you know, uh, images of individuals. Yeah, so it's, again, it's it's trying to establish a chain of events yeah. that, that are beyond a reasonable doubt. That So Dowdall has given this statement, and in it he said this meeting happened. Yeah. So obviously what the state then have to try and do is produce yeah. evidence that at least there is a possibility that they were together yes. or their cars were in the same area or whatever, right? Okay, so... Um, a guy from Dublin bus, a, a, sort of an elderly man from Dublin bus on a stick, actually got into the uh, witness box. I think he was cross-examined over who took the, who downloaded. That's right, who yeah. downloaded. Um, and it's it's uh, Bernard Condon. I think I referred to him as Brendan Condon right. the other day. I'm very sorry, senior counsel Bernard uh, Condon cross-examined this man about who downloaded it? Was it him or was it the Guardi? And and this man said it was him. Um, there was a woman who worked in a credit union in Donny Carney at the time. She was an administrator. She also dealt with the guards that came in looking for the CCTV. There was the owner of a shop who gave evidence. Most of these people weren't um, cross-examined. Some of them were. Actually, the, girl, the lady from the credit union was also cross-examined by Bernard Condon, who asked her, was she in charge? Was she the manager? She said, no, she was administrator. And he said, and where was the manager? And she said, well, probably on annual leave because she got a lot of annual leave. She, <laughs> right, sort, okay. of, she sort of came out with it and put her hand up to her mouth in the, oops, shouldn't have said that moment. Uh, it was quite funny, actually. Uh, everybody, including the judges, laughed at that. Um, so, yeah, there was a, a, another gentleman who worked in a paint shop and... Um, Yes, he, this this individual who worked in the paint shop said that the, the guardy came in and they took the CCTV, they downloaded it and he was asked, you know, do you remember the names of them? And he said, kind of like, I don't, I was always dealing with guards and 
what do you mean you're always dealing with guards? This is the, the, the cross-examination. Yep. Well, you know, they'd come in and they'd just ask for the CCTV and what would you do? We just gave it to them. So at that point, Brendan Grehan, senior counsel, who's representing uh, the monk, Jerry Hutch, he got up and he said, sorry, I'll just ask you something. And he just, he said to him, so they just have to ask. Yep. And the answer, of course, was yes. So that was kind of hinting at some of the legal argument, I think, that's going to come. Yeah, and it would be a very technical legal argument, probably, possibly separate from the trial. Um, it'll it'll go into a kind of a hiatus where the, the accused won't necessarily be there. And we're not allowed to report on it. No, um, but it, they'll discuss legal arguments. But uh, like, obviously the data... Protection and retention. Retention. Saying, so yeah. the retention. It's not the um, to it's record somebody is one thing, but then to keep that footage yes. becomes something that's far more protected under law, and um, where people you know have a right to be maybe filmed as they come in and out of a shop for, but for the shop to keep that for an extended period of time for mm. an, a, a non-determinative reason, that becomes an issue that that European law in particular looks at. And interestingly, your your own protection, you're right. I mean, the retention, the protection, they seem to be talking about both of them. Yeah. Uh, one of the other people who gave evidence was somebody living in the Drumcondra area, a householder, and she said that herself and her husband had this CCTV installed. They had about four cameras on their property. And... Um, she said they both had an app on their phone so they could they could see it. And she said that the guardie came to her house on the 5th of February, the day of the Regency Hotel attack. Yeah. And they downloaded some footage from that day from her cameras or her system. And she then said that they came back on the 9th or the 10th of February and they took the entire system, like yeah. the box. Yeah. yeah, They left the cameras but took the whole box. And... Um, they reimbursed them yeah, for which that. Is, which is not uncommon, actually, and they used to have to do that back when it was a, a tape machine. Right. They, they had to, to keep buying people, you know, new new equipment because they needed a chain of evidence. Okay. So, so maybe it was something to do with that system or else that it so, was so important what was on it, I don't know. Yeah. But, um, but Bernard Condon um, got up at that point and cross-examined this witness and he said to this witness, uh, do you have any idea kind of thing who the Data Protection Commissioner is? Yeah. So does the Data Protection Commissioner, you who knows about these matters and <laughs> quotes it yeah. regularly yeah. in complaints, I yeah. hear you sitting at your desk ringing up various television companies and everything. So does the Data Protection Commissioner look after data retention as well as uh, Yeah, as absolutely. Like, okay. So I suppose the burden, uh, like anybody who retains, who records people, has to abide by the same regulations, and they have to be wary of 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 uh, you know just retaining that sort mm. of data for an extended period of time. There's all sorts of regulations about how it should be stored, um, whether other people can access it or not. If if you you're a neighbour and you want to see some of these recordings of you. You know, you have certain rights. So all of that will become a feature. Um, the state's case always will be that 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 because you're investigating a murder, such a serious matter, that there has to be a, a degree of, of flexibility. Um, and it's interesting, maybe some institutions will be held. Possibly they may say these institutions like the credit union, for mm. example, could be held to a higher standard. They would have, um, you know, just like any any major company would have a specific um, person 
should have a person within the, the company, a data controller, yes. to make sure they abide by the regulations. Um, but in theory, a private householder should, should also know these regulations and abide by them all under all conditions because they are a data controller, right. which is a, a thing recognized in law. So if, say, for an example, a, a, a legit a company that exists that may have handed over, uh, mm. they should have a data controller and they they should be aware of all these these yeah. issues, you know? So um, didn't we get sent some video that we had to watch here? Yeah. Do you remember? Yeah, I, I remember I you saying you, you, you turned down the volume on it and guess the answers. <laughs> yeah, no, they had to, it, Oh, God. No, that, no that's true. But yeah. it, it, um, you had to watch this video and it was over what? It was nearly yeah. went on for an hour. Yeah. And you had to answer questions. It was like as if they were keeping you on your toes. You couldn't just play it and wander no, around and do everything. But answer. I thought it was fascinating. Uh, but he watched it all <laughs> and did it. And then I was going to pay him to watch mine and do it for me and answer the right questions. But uh, yeah, we all had to do that. Yeah. Actually, yeah. I mean, despite how torturous it was. Yeah. Um, and that's because obviously this company, Media House, has to have a data protection. Yeah, and it is like it's something that the EU law really focuses on, mm. and you see that in the the. The Graham Dwyer appeal, mm. which is also to do with data retention, not to mix these two cases that are very dissimilar. Yeah, but there is an issue there about how long phone companies were retaining the data, and um, the bigger issue that Ireland didn't actually update its legislation yeah. or whatever. To isn't that it? We didn't. That's update. it. We and but you we know didn't take European um, directives. Directives, mm. and so in in that case, there's a very big. Part of that appeal is going to be about the retention of yeah. it by phone com- by by the state through phone companies. Yeah, and it's taken very seriously under EU law. Yeah, so the kind of the big yawn factor of it might actually end up. Well, it could end up in any case. Yeah, it could be very significant. Yeah. However, if you remember the Grain Dwyer appeal, and it was very technical, and you know. God knows we don't fully understand it, but a lot of yeah. what they were saying again was that there has to be a leeway when you're investigating something like a murder. There has to be yes. There has to. This is of huge importance, and um, yeah. so that. But as I said before, mm. it's not the first time that uh, a murder trial in Ireland will hear uh, that debate happen between the police using uh, CCTV and the rights of individuals to a degree of privacy. Now, I'm going to just try and follow this timeline, if I can, to show you what what they're saying happened as regards the getaway, okay? So, do you recall what time the Regency attack happened? Was it 2.30? I don't recall, was it? I think it was. 2.20, maybe. Okay, and there is a big difference in 10 minutes, in fairness. Uh, So, I'm not going to get something wrong so if I don't know it I'm not going to say it because it's kind of confusing it's jumping from this CCTV evidence that people are giving and it's jumping around between the dates and the dates they gave the evidence or sorry the the days the cops arrived and downloaded it and this that and the other well what I'll tell you is that um, this BMW car that has been traced from a housing estate which we know to be the address of Jason Bonney and it's been traced from that morning Um, and we dealt with that in the last podcast spoke to you about where it was moving. So this BMW car is at uh, 13.39 on the 
is the Rohini end of the Hoth Road or it's around that sort of area, okay? Yeah. And they're following it uh, as it's making its way, yes, it's on the Hoth Road, up the Hoth Road um, towards Whitehall. Yep. Towards basically the the GAA, this GAA pitch. Ultimately, they are following this car to this GAA pitch where I told you it parked up and you could see it at the corner of it. Uh, and then this moment when they come running for it. So at 2 p.m., it's at a place called St. John's Court, which appears to be a kind of like a little apartment complex or something like that. Um, and it turns right from there into St. Vincent's GAA Club where it pulls up at 14.05. At 14.40, we have that moment, those six people run towards the car. Um, And at 14.41, we see it and this uh, taxi, which we haven't gone into too much detail of where that was earlier in the morning, but we see the taxi join the BMW as they make their way to to St. Vincent's and into that GEA club. So at 14.41, so that's a minute after we see those six people, the backs of those six people running yeah. like hell towards it. The car pulls out onto the Malahide Road, would that be right? That would be right, yeah. Okay. And it takes a left for Fairview, but the taxi takes a right for Donny Carney. Yeah. Yeah? So, yeah, you come to a, a crossroads. Yeah, come to a crossroads. Yeah. You can see that. And that seems to be by a a pub called the Beachcomber, I think. The Beachcomber, well-known okay. pub. Right. Yeah, so the BMW takes a left and the taxi takes a right at 14.44. So that's four minutes after they've they've run. It's at the Topaz garage on the Malahide Road. Yeah. Yeah. And at 15.50, the car pulls back into the housing estate where it started off its day. Yes, in Port Marnock. In Port Marnock, exactly, which is where Bonnie... Has his home address. Has his home address. And it's really when that, when it pulls in and, and you see him getting out and walking, that's at that point that Jaws Byrne makes this comment that's at that little bollocks over there. Yeah. Um, now, at 16.29, so another 40 minutes, the BMW leaves and exits the estate. Yeah. And that's as far as we've got with it. And when they come back on... Um, Monday, they're going to, I think, do the same thing with the taxi yeah. uh, in whatever way they can. But nonetheless, I suppose it focuses on, us on how, you know, organised any gang would need to be to make an escape from a crime that's so well planned. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I suppose a lot of the, uh, the, the murders over the last number of years have used burnt out cars and... Mm. Um, Certainly, we had a, a, a spate of, of of shootings that were unsolved in Ireland at a certain point. But more and more now, you're seeing the CCTV is playing such a huge role in picking up um, mm-hmm. the movements of cars. Um, yeah. So these movements of cars are gonna they're gonna paint a picture. Um. But of course, and the, the state's case. And the state's case. Interestingly, you know that burning of cars. There was one point in Spain where there was a couple of murders. Was it Paddy Doyle or was it that far back? It was actually, I think it might have been Hatchet. Yeah. And uh, the Spanish police believed that it was carried out by an Irish mob because of the way the car had been burnt out. Yeah. And apparently they were of the understanding that burning out, forensically burning out the car and the way they did was actually an old IRA method. Right. And that the IRA had thought a lot of the gangs or had worked with them to teach them how to basically destroy all evidence. Yeah. 
But you're seeing again and again, in this case, the evidence is going to be something that's, that's harder to, to destroy. destroy. Now, obviously, the defence haven't uh, put forward their, their case yeah. in, in the same way as the prosecution. They're going to obviously say that seeing it, the movement of a car certainly doesn't prove a murder beyond that, a reasonable yes. doubt, which they have to be. So you're going to say, this is a movement of a car, can you? Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't know what they're going to say, but they may say, what does that show? Is that is that that is that enough? Yeah. Um, and that's, that's going to be, we presume, a heavy part of the defence case. Um, and from previous cases I've covered, I, I can recall them, you know, calling upon evidence of how many of a particular car there are in the country. Yeah. You know, getting that that detail of, say, if it was a BMW or something, how many black BMWs are there in Ireland and yeah. in Dublin, etc. So it, it, it's a long way to go. Mm. I mean, we don't know, obviously, what's going to happen, but we could say that it's going to lapse into legal argument, which, which happens, I think, during most high-profile trials yeah. and you don't tend to hear it you don't notice it in court reports but we get yeah. emails saying it's it's in legal argument today yeah. it's don't cannot cannot be published the court reports yes. and do something else yeah so that 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 will become a feature as and and if, of course special criminal court has been a lot of that technical evidence is mm-hmm. a big feature of it mm-hmm. um, and so if 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 a defense can find an error, mm-hmm. a legal error, for want of a better word. Sometimes these cases can can really be transformed by that, and that is obviously what the defence will will seek to do, to look at something of how, mm-hmm. say, CCTV was harvested, and um, you know if there if there is sort of errors within within the the production of this, we don't know again. So that that could become a feature in in in, in up, upcoming weeks. The state is going to claim that, and they're claiming that Hutch was one of those six. Clearly, they have yep. um, put him on trial for murder. They're claiming Bonnie and Murphy were these getaway drivers in these two cars. That's the state's case. They're going to claim that um, this murder was carried out in the Regency Hotel, and literally within minutes this second part of the plan was yes. in action and that these two cars had made their way across the city and parked up in a pre-planned area yeah. in order to collect these guys. The van is obviously on fire at this point in time on the pitches, you said, yeah. in, in the the GA club. Is that where they burnt it out? Yeah, well, as far as I remember, that that, yeah. that is what they said and there's, there isn't CCTV of that. Obviously, there's yeah. CCTV leading up to the pitch um, and I saw the pictures of the van, the burnt out van there. In the, the aftermath, day, yeah. yeah. So the police obviously went in in the aftermath and took took images. So the state is going to say that within minutes they had left behind David Byrne in the condition he was in on the floor of the Regency. They had left behind this chaos. Yeah. They had caused this, you know, spectacular, as it was called, a crime spectacular. And they had escaped using... Um, two cars and they had fled off into the city. Um, by the time the BMW pulls in back into the housing estate in Port Marek, there's nobody in it except the driver. So clearly along the way, whoever was in that car, whoever the state say were in that car, yeah. were let off somewhere. Yeah, and the, the case is very clearly rooted in the fact that this is there is in existence the, the Hutch criminal organisation and that this murder... Although it doesn't focus on, for example, who pulled the trigger, mm. 
in the murder of David Byrne, it's got it's making the case that this murder was carried out by the, the Hutch criminal organization and therefore it operates as a joint enterprise. It doesn't effectively matter mm. who pulled the trigger, the trigger that yeah. led to the death, yeah. that this was a plan this was a plan by the Hutch criminal organization. And they have said they're going to bring uh, Garda witnesses forward to talk about to the talk about the, the yeah. criminal organization. Yeah. Um, and that so the, this is this maybe 20 years ago before the introduction of anti-gangland laws, that case wouldn't have been able to be made as simply, mm-hmm. or not as simply is the wrong word, but that case wouldn't have been able to made. You would have had to really have been the person to pull the trigger yeah. or a getaway driver maybe yeah. to be convicted of murder. But this is a, a, a sort of a broader uh, existence of a criminal organisation. And that's that's happened to the the members of the Kinnahan cartel. Mm. They've been convicted in relation to murders now as opposed to being a, a, a gunman as such. Regina Kyo would have been a classic case of that. She's serving life in prison for murder. Yeah. She's the the sister, I was going to say the brother, the sister of... Um, Jonathan of Kyo. Jonathan Kyo, who uh, what the the state say was the trigger man, and he was convicted of that. Yeah. But she allowed him, her brother, and others use her apartment yeah. to, as a lookout, and she yeah. she was convicted of murder. Yeah. So it's a joint enterprise, yeah. I think it's called, and it it what it means is that it doesn't you, you don't just convict the person who pulls the trigger, the the people who are an essential part of the mm-hmm. planning, the operation. And this is clearly going to be the case against Jerry Hutch, as far as we know, because they're not going to produce forensic evidence putting him at the scene or, yeah. you know, yeah. other things that 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 in similar cases may result. But there have been many people convicted of joint enterprise. Uh, Did you notice murders. there's been no mention of a phone? I did. Yeah, I haven't heard that. Um, no, and it wasn't in the opening? No. So everybody left their phones at home? I presume so. Um, <laughs> no, I think there there was evidence, though, of of maybe of the meeting subsequently mm-hmm. regarding Jonathan Dowdle's phone, um, right? Bouncing off masks. The meeting subsequently, you mean with that he claims he met with Jerry Hutch yes. in the White House, yes, yes, around the twentieth of yes. February, we yes. reckon, and that yeah. he's they are me uh, as far uh, they're going to. Use that well, you can bring your place, phone with you to a yeah, thing like that. But. Yeah, they're going to use that to place Jonathan Dowdle at that scene. Where he says he was. Yes. Um, and just, I suppose, finally, what I thought was interesting and it brought me back when I was looking at the timings and, you know, you see that BMW pull into the estate out in uh, Port Marnock. What time did I tell you that was at? About 20 past four, was it, on that day? Like, if you can recall and bring yourself back to the 5th of February 2016, yeah. we had the drama with Ernie ringing up yeah. with this photograph. We had the, I think probably at that point, we realised that there was going to be a police coming in to, um, yeah. you know, to investigate the photographs, to look for the warrant, to try and seize it. There were certainly rumblings that they were going to try and seize yeah. this. We were very anxious to run the yeah. story, the picture, to yeah. report what we could. Um, and I also remember there was this dark cloud seemed to be forming over Dublin. Yeah. And I was in the office that day and by the time I drove home and it was half six, I think, at night, I pulled out and... The city was surrounded yeah. with armed officers, checkpoints. There was this absolute sense of dread that day, by that yeah. time of day and, and into obviously into the days after it, that something horrendous had gone wrong. Yeah. That And even had they, look, everybody 
would later say that the target that day was Daniel Kinahan. Yeah. But I mean, that same, I imagine, thunderous response to that would have happened whether it was him or not. It wasn't yeah. as if, if they got him or if whoever went in to do that shooting got him. I think that same response would have been. But you could just feel it in the air, yeah. especially in around here. I remember going home and, and being very grateful that I didn't live in the north inner city and being, you know, frightened nearly for the people in the north inner city because yeah. you just knew that there was this hell and damnation going to come at them. And it came so quickly, if you remember, uh, in terms of the, the murder of Eddie Hutch was yeah. so quickly. Three days. Yeah, so quickly That was the afterwards. Monday, I think. Yeah. Um, and that was terrifying. And yeah. he was just walking home with his shopping. He'd gone out and bought a cake and something else. And he was walking into his house and the gunman came. Yeah. And we've seen the CCTV of the moment he's shot dead. Yeah, I mean, there was no doubt that there was going to be such a, a swift response it was yeah. scary that because, you know, in a way, the first thing the guards did after the Regency was surround the north inner city. Yeah. They tried to surround the entrance routes to the city. They tried to secure the area, basically, because yeah. the intelligence was they were going to, the Kinahan organised crime group were coming back in vengeance. And uh, I think it was the fact that that hit team got in and got out. Yeah, yeah with that ring of steel in place that really uh, yeah. was frightening and for the people of the area yeah, more so than anybody. Was, and there was other events coming up. It was in the middle of a general election. Yeah. So that added to the that sense of this isn't okay because yeah. it became such a big issue in the election at the time. And then obviously there was the planning and the upcoming uh, funeral for David Byrne which yeah. really, really was raising tensions and there was, you know, it was a big, big funeral if you remember, and there was a lot of talk about... And it was a show of power. Yes. And there's no other way to describe that. No. Front and central at that funeral was Thomas Bomber Cavanagh, now jailed, convicted of money laundering and drug offences in the UK. Daniel Kinahan's right-hand man. Yeah. At his side was Kinahan, yeah. Daniel Kinahan. The last time he was ever in this country yes. was uh, to stand front and central and to try and terrorise yeah. the country. Yeah, and, and Fat Freddie Thompson, of course, as well, who, who had been you know, a really major figure in Gangland for a long time. Major violent enforcer. So there was a lot, uh, there was a lot going on and then there was the Eddie Hutch's funeral so it it, it was a very, very tense time. Which was a much more, you know, ordinary affair. It was a more ordinary affair but the tension certainly was was Mm. massive and there was a sense and I think it was part the fact the, the election was going on, it really allowed there, there was this narrative really developed mm, mm. in public that things are out of control. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that the state were not in control of the streets of, of Dublin. Uh, and, and possibly they weren't at And they that weren't, moment. and I think it took a while for the police to regain the control. I mean, if you remember, within the north inner city then, there was armed officers patrolling the streets when yeah. the children were going to school. Yeah. The kids were going into school and they were having to get help to deal with this psychologically and there was people being murdered on the streets. It was terrifying actually time. And do you remember then in the April, so that was the February, by the April I remember coming into the office one day and hearing the Garda helicopter overhead. I went out onto the balcony to look up and it it was Gareth Hutch was dead. He was after being shot dead there in Avondale House. Yeah, and he he of course had at least anticipated his own debt had gone to local politicians and spoke about his 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 fears or his own safety, you know. Um, and there was this sense, I suppose, at the time that this this terror was coming from the outside. But I think what 
eventually sort of emerged and probably over the months was actually the terror was coming from within the community. Yeah. It was coming from those who turned on the Hutch organisation, who'd gone and taken the Kinnahan money, the yeah, blood money. Yeah, taken the Kinnahan side. I mean, obviously subsequent convictions would, would show a lot of people from what's regarded as the Hutch heartland mm. um, were part of certainly plotting against uh, Patsy Hutch. And a lot of these people would have been lifelong friends with people like Mago Gately, a, yeah. a known Hutch associate who was in court again this week. Uh, Cab were, were taking action against them. Um, so it was it was a very very tense time, and graffiti was prop was mm. was 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 flying up, and it was all for money. I mean, there was no other like I mean, there was no loyalties really. Yeah, to, by any of those individuals. Okay, there's look. Daniel Kinahan has his loyal crowd around him, and I'm sure Jerry Hutch has very loyal soldiers around him. But ultimately, most people just like when you look back on the the kind of the conspiracy to kill Patsy Hutch, every single one of them took the money they yeah. want, and like two grand to, to for a spotter who's yeah. a neighbour I thought that was really significant a neighbour now a guy with a drug addiction problems and all the rest of it but nonetheless anyway we're slightly digressing into it all but <laughs> yeah it was a terrifying time yeah. that this is all it was centred on so I'm going to um, take the weekend off yeah recover and don't, and don't. I'm Lock not, clo I'm not any. closing any doors behind me. <laughs> no, no. I got a bit of grief for asking you what you were wearing. Yeah, you did when actually, you were locked yeah, out. They called you creep here in the office. <laughs> they, you get yeah. away with nothing, actually. No. Um, yeah, that's that's it. I think we'll call it a wrap, will we? Thanks very much, Nicola. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from SundayWorld.com, produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Clodamini. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe. Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary.